Back in the early 1960s, when I was a child, the denomination that our congregation was a part of began to drift spiritually. And one of the ways we saw that was the Sunday school material. Two things I remember as a child. One was that they did not believe any longer that Adam and Eve were actually real people, just kind of symbols of creation or something like that. And then the other thing that they said they didn't believe anymore is that Jonah was actually swallowed by a fish. That was just a myth. I remember my dad telling about a man who was sitting in a church service and the preacher was preaching on the book of Jonah and he made the statement, he said, we don't really believe this anymore, that uh, Jonah was swallowed by a fish. There was a man who stood up while the pastor was preaching and said, Pastor, I beg to differ with you. He said, if the Bible said that Jonah swallowed the fish, I'd believe it. Why? Because of his confidence in the truth of God's Word. Jesus himself said that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. So, who are you going to believe? Are you going to stand with the liberal, so-called scholars of our day? Are you going to stand with Jesus? I stand with Jesus. I stand in his Word. And we come then to chapter 2 of Jonah. Jonah has been swallowed by that fish, running to God. Chapter 1, he was running from God. Now in the belly of the fish, he's running to God. Genesis 2, we begin at verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. And I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your spirit. We believe that your word is truth. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Put yourself in Jonah's shoes for a moment. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights? Now, obviously, it must have been a very stinky place. I would 
assume. I don't know how else to describe it other than that way. It must have been a very frightening experience. But God knew that Jonah needed that. You see, the storm that God sent upon the sea that caused the ship just about to break up didn't really get Jonah's attention. But being thrown overboard and swallowed by that fish, I think Jonah was ready to to listen now. R.T. Kendall says, The belly of the fish is not a happy place to live, but it is a good place to learn. And I would suggest to you that there are several things that Jonah learned as he spent that time in the belly of the fish. First of all, Jonah realized his need. He realized his need. As we come to chapter 2, Jonah is finally on his knees. For the first time in his trouble, he prayed. And that's interesting because in chapter 1, verse 6, he was asleep in the belly of the ship, right? And the captain of the ship had to tell him to pray. He said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. But in that ship, we don't have any record of Jonah praying. The first record of him praying is what we find in chapter 2. In the belly of the fish, that's when he finally started to pray. Verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. One commentary says the significance of this verse is found in Jonah's willingness to pray. From a near-drowning experience, he awakened to find himself in a terrifying environment. We don't know how long Jonah was in the fish before he prayed. I would like to know that. Maybe someday we'll find out. How long were you in that fish before you actually started to pray? Was it right away? Or did you wait? Were you still stubborn? No doubt, the author says, he found his entire experience in the sea overwhelming. That this prophet of few words finally prayed marks a turning point in the book. And it certainly is, right? Because that's where things change. That's the turning point. When we are in the midst of whatever it is we face and we get down on our knees and pray, that's the turning point. And if you never get to the turning point, you're going to be in trouble. Facing the challenges of life alone or on your knees in prayer. I think it's wise that you get down on your knees and pray. Now, as you read through this prayer, Jonah expresses in various ways that, like we would say, he had hit bottom, right? He had hit bottom. Notice all the the references to that. Verse 2, he says, I called out in my distress to the Lord. He answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. Verse 3, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. All your breakers and billows passed over me. Verse 5, water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Verse 6, I descended to the to the roots of the mountains, the very depths of the sea. And then he says at the end of verse 6, But you have brought up my life from the 
pit. So all of those expressions really describe that, that here's a man that had finally hit bottom. Right? And you look at people and you think, you know, they go through struggles and trials and you think, finally they've hit bottom. Oh, no, no, no. Go back to their sin. Finally they've hit bottom. No, no, no. It's just like this cycle going on and on. Finally, Jonah hit bottom. So deep was the pit that Jonah had figured he had been banished from the sight of God. Verse 4, he said, I have been expelled from your sight. That's how bad it seemed. There was no hope. He was in the pit and there was no way he was going to get up. Ever felt that way? Ever felt like you were in a pit and you wondered if you would ever get out? My wife experienced that one time when, when she was with her brother Larry and they were uh, walking in the field of mud and she sunk into a six-inch pit. Well, for a child, that was deep because her feet were literally stuck. And as a little girl, she started to cry, right? Her brother said, don't worry, Judy. I'll go get Dad and he'll pull you out with a tractor. <laughs> That'd be quite a deliverance, huh? I think she got scared enough that before her brother got back, she pulled herself out of that pit, that six-inch pit. There are times when we feel like we're stuck. We feel like we're in a situation that, am I ever going to get out of this? Will things ever change? Will it ever be different? And I know some of you have experienced that in a very significant way in the last few years. It's a pit. It's a challenge. Now, it's interesting to notice how Jonah's prayer includes a number of quotations from the Psalms. One author says that parallels to Jonah chapter 2 can be found in Psalm 3, Psalm 5, Psalm 18, Psalm 31, Psalm 42, Psalm 69, Psalm 77, Psalm 116, and Psalm 120. If you're counting which I don't assume you were. That's nine different psalms. That's interesting, isn't it? What does that say? I think that tells us that that Jonah had knowledge of the Word of God. And as he prayed to God, he was praying Scripture. Do you ever pray Scripture to God? I think that's the best way to pray. Because we are taking His Word, His promises, and we are bringing them before the throne of God, does God hear His promises? (laughs) Absolutely. That's what Jonah did. I don't think there's a better way to pray in time of need than to pray the Scriptures. Now, do you realize your need for God today? Let me tell you, you don't need to be in the belly of a fish. Realize your need. We need Jesus every day, right? Every single moment of every single day, we need Jesus. And we have the privilege to come to Him in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. 
all our sins and griefs to bear. You can finish it, can't you? What a privilege to carry. Do you consider that a privilege? If you were in the belly of a fish, you would consider that a privilege, wouldn't you? But you have other needs. I know you do, because you're human. You have things in your life, maybe things in your family, things in your relationship that need prayer, right? We recognize our need. We come to Him in prayer. So that's the first thing. Jonah realized his need. The second thing we notice is that Jonah recognized God's discipline. Did you notice how he describes being cast into the deep in verse 3? He says to the Lord, For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the currents engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So instead of saying that the sailors threw me overboard, which they did, right? Instead of saying that the sea covered me with all of its breakers, what does Jonah say? God, this is your work. This is your discipline. He saw what he was going through as God's discipline in his life. Luther said, Jonah felt in his conscience that the sea with its waves and billows was the servant of God and of his wrath to punish him. And I find it very fascinating when you read through the book of Jonah, you notice how God was actively involved in this man's life. We go back to chapter 1. The Lord hurled a great wind. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish. Chapter 4, the Lord God appointed a plant. Chapter 4, verse 7, God appointed a worm. Chapter 4, verse 8, God appointed a scorching wind. And so there was no question in Jonah's mind that he was at this point in his life being disciplined by God for his rebellion. The wind, the plant, the, the fish... The, the scorching wind, all of that came from the hand of God. You know, sometimes I wonder if we have a little trouble recognizing God's hand of discipline. You think so? Bad luck? Misfortune? Or maybe a more spiritual one? Well, we live in a fallen world, you know, which is true, right? When trouble comes our way, I think we need to at least ask, are you trying to tell me something, Lord? Are you trying to get my attention in some way? Is what I'm going through your hand of discipline upon me? It may not be, but I think we need to be sensitive to what happens in our life and say, okay, Lord, is there something you want to teach me here. And if what I'm experiencing is God's discipline, if God makes that clear to us, then we need to submit to that, right? Say, okay, Lord, you're accomplishing something in my life. Hebrews 12 was read from this morning for our scripture reading. 
Warren Wiersbe says this about that passage. He says, how we respond to discipline determines how much benefit we receive from it. According to Hebrews 12, we have several options. We can despise God's discipline and fight, verse 5. We can be discouraged and faint. We can resist discipline and invite stronger discipline. Or we can submit to the Father and mature in faith and love. So how we respond to discipline really determines how much we learn through it, right? Can you remember times when you were young and you were disciplined by your mom or dad and you did not like it one bit? Huh? Unfair or why can't I do this? Or, you know, the younger brother, you know. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we say, you know, I'm not going to learn from this. I'm going to bow my neck. And sometimes it's that way with the Lord too, right? We don't fight it. We need to submit to it. And, and Jonah recognized that, that, that all of this that was happening in his life was, was the discipline of God. But thirdly, in the midst of that, Jonah was renewed in his hope for deliverance. There was a time while he was in the fish that, that he wondered if there was any hope. He said, I've been expelled from your sight. But notice what he says at the end of verse 4. He says, nevertheless, in spite of this, nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Hope being renewed. I found that expression to be interesting because I think there's some Old Testament background to, to this looking again toward God's temple. It's kind of, well, when you think about it, Jonah's hope was renewed, first of all, because he had been swallowed by the fish. Had he not been swallowed by that fish, what would have happened? He would have drowned. Eventually, he would have died. So, So Jonah must have seen the fish not only as a means of discipline, but also as a sign of God's mercy. One author says that he now found himself alive, even in so terrifying an environment, Jonah took to be a miracle of God intended as the means of his eventual deliverance. The fish was a beneficent device for returning Jonah to the place of his commission. Another reason Jonah's hope was renewed because he believed the promise of God. And here we go back then into the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And here is when Solomon was dedicating the temple that he had built. 2 Chronicles 6 verse 18, he says, But will God indeed dwell with mankind on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house that I built. In other words, you know, you're not confined to this place. But then he goes on to say this, Yet... Have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication. O Lord my God, to listen to the cry, to the prayer of which your servant prays before you, and your eye may be open toward this house. 
looking toward this house day and night, toward the place which you have said you would put your name there, to listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. Listen to the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Notice how he emphasizes that. Looking toward this place. Looking to this place where, God, your presence is made known. King Jehoshaphat did the same thing. Second Chronicles 20, verse 9, he says, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and deliver us. I can't help but think that that's what was in, the, in Jonah's mind. That dedication of that temple and when King Jehoshaphat was, was doing, looking toward this place. And that's the confidence we can have when God is working in our lives to get our focus on Him. We can trust that He will hear us when we call out to Him, when we look to Him. That's where our hope for deliverance comes from from the Lord. Jonah was serious, I believe, about this prayer because the fourth thing we notice is that Jonah recommitted himself to God. Although his prayer was a cry for deliverance, it was more than that. Jonah's prayer was also a prayer recommitment. Look at verse 7 through 9. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. What vow do you think Jonah is talking about here? That which I have vowed I will pay. Some suggest it could be his vow as a prophet. Maybe. When a pastor is ordained, right, there are vows made. I vowed to be faithful to the Word of God, right? Or it could be a vow that Jonah made in the belly of the fish. Now, can you imagine that happening? Ever been in a situation where you prayed, Lord, if you get me out of this, I will fill in the blank. Huh? Ever prayed that? Well, I can imagine Jonah praying that, Lord, if you get me out of this stinky fish, I'll go to Nineveh. And he went, not so joyfully, but but he did go. And you know what? God takes our vows seriously, doesn't he? We've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes on Wednesday night. In chapter 5 it says, When you make a vow to God, don't be late in paying it. He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. And he says, Do not let your speech cause you to sin, 
And do not say in the presence of the messenger of God, oh, it was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. Or I didn't really mean that vow. God says that, that we, don't, we don't accept that. That's foolish to make a vow. God, if you get me out of this, I'll do that. And then as soon as you're out of trouble, you forget about your commitment. Evidently, Jonah took his vow seriously because he says, that which I vowed, I kept recommitting to, to God. The final thing we noticed in this chapter then is that Jonah rejoiced in God's salvation. If you find yourself in the midst of a crisis like Jonah, you need to know where you can turn, right? You need to know who you can count on to save you. Now, Jonah learned what he couldn't count on, right? Because when he was in that boat with those sailors, they were crying out to their gods, every one of them, right? What happened? These gods didn't answer. Why? Gods of wood... Gods of stone, they can do absolutely nothing for you. And so Jonah realized that there's no way any of these false gods will help him. And that's why he says in verse 8, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Jonah knew who he could count on, didn't he? He knew he could count on the Lord, and that's why he finished this Prayer in verse 9 by saying very simply and very powerfully, salvation is from the Lord. Deliverance is from the Lord. And some have suggested that that this is really the theme of the book of Jonah. Because Because it was only the Lord who could save the sailors from the storm. It was only the Lord who could save Jonah from the belly of the fish. It was only the Lord who could save the people of Nineveh. That really is the theme of the whole book, isn't it? Salvation comes from the Lord. No other place. No other place. Acts 4.12 There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's the theme of the book of Jonah. Salvation comes only from the Lord. We need to embrace that. And we need to proclaim that. Jesus is our only hope. So what was God's response to Jonah's prayer? Well, some have suggested he gave the fish an upset stomach. Verse 10, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Not the most pleasant picture, is it? I think I would rather have my arm cut off than to vomit. I just do not, well, that's obviously an exaggeration, but any of you... Have no 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 problems with throwing up. Huh? That's the worst, isn't it? It's just like, oh man, give me a headache, but don't have me throw up. 
I was shopping at Costco a few years ago. Just, you know, walking down the aisles looking. And all of a sudden, I heard behind me the sound of someone. It was it was loud. It was like, Aah! and I was waiting for the, you know, the slap. And so I turned around and looked. It was a lady I know. I said, how could you do that to me? You just about made me sick now because of, there's something horrible about bombing. Huh? Well, in Jonah's case, that was a blessing. God gave that fish an upset stomach. and Jonah was spewed out of the mouth of that fish and he was delivered. Joyfully delivered. Have you been joyfully delivered? Delivered from the pit of, of sin? Delivered from a hopeless situation where there was not anything you could do to save yourself? Salvation is a miracle. It is the work of God. We don't climb the ladder into heaven it's only as God reaches down to us and in His mercy and grace, He, he delivers us. Oh, the joy of deliverance. Salvation is from the Lord. Jesus is your only hope of deliverance. And when you call on Him, He will save you. He will deliver you. He'll bring you out of that pit of sin. Put a new song in your heart. Many will see the change in your life. There will be some of them who are going to say, I want what you have. I don't know what it is that you have. Whatever it is, I need that kind of joy, that kind of peace, that kind of forgiveness, that kind of hope that is found in, in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this chapter, as we see Jonah running to you, recognizing his need for you, uh, crying out to you, and, and in your mercy and grace, experiencing that joy of deliverance. Oh God, may that be a part of our lives today. May that be a part of the, ones, the lives of the ones we love. That you would rescue, that you would save, that you would deliver from the pit. In Jesus' name we pray.